Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back, everyone, to Patriot Coalition Live. I'm Jason Morocek. Thanks for joining us today. Our goal is to create a timeless resource to teach about the U.S. Constitution and the proper role of government, the importance of America's Judeo-Christian heritage, and how to defend against threats to our republic. But before we get started in today's topic, I want to talk to you about something that you can do today to begin rooting out one of the major sources of corruption in America. The source of corruption is what we call the three-headed beast, that is mainstream media, big tech, and big business. These mega corporations are actively undermining our liberties through censorship, canceling, and destroying livelihoods because they don't like dissent, and they don't like people who share truths which threaten their power. So as you know, earlier this year, Google, Apple, and Amazon Web Services, among others, canceled Parler or stopped giving access to Parler. Social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter regularly suspend accounts when they don't like their posts. So why continue to send your money to Amazon when they are canceling and censoring those who stand up for liberty, when you can spend your hard-earned money with freedom-loving companies who share your values and your principles? A company like conservativeeconomy.com. Now, conservativeeconomy.com has tons of companies to shop from with over 3,600 categories of products. So chances are you're going to find what you're looking for at conservativeeconomy.com. Now, if you shop at a business that you love and you think that that business would be a great fit at conservativeeconomy.com, go to our contact page and let us know. Now, if you own a business, go to the sell here link at conservativeeconomy.com and tell us about your business. Again, that website is conservativeeconomy.com. Please check us out today. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Today we are discussing, and the title is Article 1, Section 9. The powers denied to Congress, and this is the part three, the last of three parts on the powers denied to Congress. So as a review, remember, Article 1 is all about Congress. Now, Article 1, Section 9 describes the powers that are specifically denied to Congress. And today, we are talking about clauses 4 through 8 of Article 9. This is the last section, or the last uh, five clauses of Article 9. So let's talk about the first one. In Clause 4 of Article 1, Section 9, the Constitution says, quote, no capitation or other direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. Okay, so first let's talk about uh, some of these terms. So capitation, what is a capitation? Well, it's a tax. A, A capitation tax is essentially a fixed amount that is levied on every person that's named in the tax. So every adult, as an example. And it's really synonymous. You may have heard of a poll tax or a head tax. And that's essentially what a capitation tax is. It's like it says every person that is in the tax, uh, taxing um, definition, as I said, maybe an adult, everyone owes $10, you know, uh, as a tax. Okay, that is a capitation tax. Now it says no capitation or, or other direct tax. Okay, so first of all, the 
what it's implying here is capitation is, is a direct tax, okay? And it says no other direct tax can be laid less in proportion. Well, that means that now we have to know what a direct tax is, okay? And so uh, for the purpose, well, not even just for the purposes of this episode, um, the, the common, in the common vernacular, the way that this is described and the way it's articulated in the records of the federal convention, in other words, the debates, the debates of the constitutional convention, a direct tax is a tax essentially on a human for something that cannot reasonably be avoided or shifted to somebody else. Right, so it could be a tax on themselves, as we just talked about, a capitation tax. It can be a tax on their income, because they, they have to earn an income or they have to have some sort of way to support themselves, or the property that they own, right? Somebody's not gonna just divest themselves of all property just to avoid taxes, right? So these are direct taxes. So even though it doesn't mention it, we might as well talk about what an indirect tax is. As you can imagine, it's probably, um, pretty self-explanatory. An indirect tax is anything that is not a direct tax. So these are taxes that don't apply to humans, right? At least directly. Transactions are indirect tax. You know, transactions like imposts. We talked about these before. Imposts, excises, duties, sales tax. None of these are actual taxes on a human. They're taxes on transactions that humans make or on the products that they purchase. Um, and and essentially, they could be avoided, right? You could avoid buying certain things that have high excise taxes. You can, uh, you know, not import something, right? And, and the reason why they're called indirect taxes is because even though you and I may not be taxed on these things, uh, like a, an import, when we go and we purchase something that has been imported, we are essentially paying that tax. And we can choose to buy that thing, or we can choose to not buy that thing that has been taxed. Okay, so uh, this clause, it basically re reiterates what Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 says that we talked about, you know, several weeks ago. Um, and if you don't recall, it says, quote, direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, and it's based on the census. So, so in other words, you know, unless they are going to proportion the taxes to each state based on their population, they cannot tax them directly. Now, both of these clauses, the one in Article 1, Section 2, and this one in Article 1, Section 9, they've been modified by the 16th Amendment. We talked about this before, back when we talked about Article 1, Section 2. Uh, and the 16th Amendment says, quote, the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. So essentially the, the modification that the 16th amendment makes on these two clauses is that it carves out specifically uh, the income portion of direct taxes. It says the income no longer uh, is, is uh, susceptible to any sort of enumeration or requirement to be applied based on the census. Other direct taxes still are, but income, no matter what source it's derived from, uh, is no longer part of that uh, prohibition on Congress. So the central government could now essentially tax individuals in smaller populated and wealthier states more than those uh, people that are in highly populated poorer states. Before, it had to be in proportion to the population. Well, now it no longer does. So 
as an example, Connecticut doesn't have a whole lot of, of people in it, but it's a very wealthy state. South Carolina probably has more people, but it has probably the, the per capita income is not as high. So whereas before they couldn't tax Connecticut any more per person than they could in South Carolina. Uh, and, and that was problematic you know, from the government's perspective because there's a lot of wealth in Connecticut and they could actually get more taxes from that. And you know the people in Connecticut were like, whoa, 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 just because we're wealthy doesn't mean that you can tax us any more than other states. Uh, and that's the way it was for a long time until the 16th Amendment. And so now they can, they can reach down and bypass that census, say, I don't, I don't care how many people are here. If there's wealth here, we're going to tax it. Right. So that's what the 16th Amendment allows them to do. And that's why it carves that away from this prohibition against requiring some sort of apportionment based on the census. OK, so that was Clause 4. Clause 5 of Article 1, Section 9 says, quote, no tax or duty shall be laid on articles exported from any state. Now, this is a short one. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and, you know, the reasoning is fairly simple as well, right? If you are going to ex uh, tax exports from a state who's doing their best to uh, produce manufacturing or production of crops or anything that they're, they're throwing their labor into, and you're gonna now tax those things before they can sell them uh, in other countries, which is, which is what the United States wants to do, right? We wanna bring wealth from other nations to the United States and exporting things helps us do that. So if you're going to tax something as it's exported and you're going to tax the people who are putting the labor and material and, and finances into creating that, it discourages manufacturing. So that's one reason why they put this in here. The other one is that, you know, some of the products that are produced in some states there and are not produced in others. For example, um, a, a tax on tobacco, for example, a, a tobacco exports would disproportionately affect the southern states more than the northern states. So even though, and we'll talk about it in a future episode, that all uh, taxes, you know, indirect taxes have to be uniform um, throughout the, the, the nation. If you were to say, hey, we're going to tax all tobacco across the America the same, well, that's not really equal. And um, the, the states knew that, right? And so they are saying, we're not going to tax the exports um, that are leaving the country because it would also disproportionately affect some areas that are pr producing or manufacturing that item more than others. Okay. The next clause, clause six of Article 1, Section 9 says, quote, no preference shall be given by any regulation of commerce or revenue to the ports of one state over those of another, nor shall vessels bound to or from one state be obliged to enter, clear, or pay duties in another. Okay, so this clause was introduced to prevent a majority of states from using commerce regulations. Uh, if let's say they had a, um, a majority of their delegation in Congress, they had a majority. It was prevent. It, it was one of the reasons was it was used to prevent that delegation, that majority of states, from using commerce regulations to shift the balance of commerce in their direction, and, and also to prevent the central government from using commerce regulations as a punishment if a state stood up to any abuse of power. You know, if if South Carolina, for example, or Maryland says, you know what, you're encroaching our liberties, uh, central government, and we're going to stand up to you, the central government might say. Okay, so now any ship that is bound for Maryland or South Carolina, whatever it happens to be, 
is now going to stop in Virginia. And uh, we're going to uh, essentially interfere with the commerce that it, of your state. And so the states, not wanting to give up any of this uh, commerce, wanted to make sure that this clause was introduced into the Constitution to make sure that the central government couldn't interfere in that way. And, um, you know, we, you know, Luther Martin, we talked about him last week, uh, he had a lot to say after the Constitutional Convention when he went back to his, you know, his state of Maryland, and he gave a report um, to that uh, Maryland House of Representatives. Well, he did about this clause as well. Uh, this is Luther Martin to the Maryland House of Representatives. He said, quote, if Maryland, for instance, should have occasion to oppose the encroachments of the general government in Congress, uh, or Congress might direct that all vessels coming into this bay uh, to enter and clear at Norfolk and thereby become as formidable to this state by an exercise of this power, meaning the power of commerce, as they could be by the military arrangements or civil judiciaries. So he's saying you could simply use a regulation to force people away from conducting commerce with Maryland just like you could with a military blockade or a, uh, a judge issuing a decree. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Regulations being used against states or, uh, or, or the people to, uh, to put additional burdens on them? Yeah, it's happening today in spades. Okay, so um, that was Luther Martin. So uh, this is another uh, quote from Hugh Williamson. So he was in the US House of Representatives uh, immediately following the Constitutional Convention, right as we stood up our country. He said, quote, the clear and obvious intention of the articles mentioned was that Congress might not have the power of imposing unequal burdens, that it might not be in their power to gratify one part of the union by oppressing another. It appeared possible and not very improbable that the time might come when by greater cohesion, by more unanimity, by more address, the representatives of one part of the union might attempt to impose unequal taxes or to relieve their constituents at the expense of other people. To prevent the possibility of such a combination, the articles that I have mentioned were inserted in the constitution. And the articles he mentioned are, are actually the clauses that we're talking about today. Okay, so again, that's, that's clause six. It says no preferences, shall be given by any regulation of commerce or revenue to the ports of one state over those of another, nor shall vessels bound to or from one state be obliged to enter, clear, or pay duties in another. So these were very important to, you know, early on in, in the nation, these, uh, these states, they were fledgling states. They were still trying to get commerce uh, revved up, especially after the uh, War of Independence where you know, they essentially had to put things on hold in order to uh, fight for their liberties. So they're trying to kickstart the commerce and they didn't want any interference even from their own general government, the central government. Okay, clause seven of article one, section nine says, quote, no money shall be drawn from the treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law and a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. Okay, so this one is, is fairly self-explanatory again, but it's essentially saying that, look, Congress, you can't take money out of the treasury of the United States just because you're in Congress. You first must have written a bill and it had been passed into law that specifically appropriates a specific amount of money 
for whatever you want to spend the money on. So, you know, before you just start dipping your, your grubby little fingers in our treasury, the money that we have paid in taxes or through our duties or imposts or excises, before you start dipping your, uh, your grubby paws in there, you first have to have uh, passed a bill and gotten everybody in Congress, well, the majority, to, uh, to, to, to approve that that is a reasonable expenditure. Now, uh, these days, <laughs> I don't know that we trust the, the judgment of our representatives in Congress. Um, you know, we, shoot, we spent several weeks on, on this talking about the general welfare and the specific enumerated powers and what they can and cannot spend money on. So clearly they are um, just avoiding it and ignoring it at this point. But that was the intention of this. First, you have to pass a bill before you can just start spending money. Okay, so um, the the delegates were concerned uh, a little bit also with what was called the half-year requirement in the Articles of Confederation. Uh, in the Articles of Confederation, they did require that the, the Congress give the states an account every half year of you know the, the money that they've either bor borrowed or spent. The problem was they never met this obligation. The Congress never met this obligation. It was uh, apparently too frequent and they uh, and the accounts that they gave weren't weren't complete, right? Because what happens if there was an expenditure or a series of expenditures that ex um, progressed past that half year? You know, maybe it was two, one or two months later. The people or the states would not get a full account of what was going on. And so because of that, um, the the delegates in the Constitutional Convention, uh, well, first of all, in the Articles of Confederation, because they could never do it and or do it well and do it effectively, they just did stop doing it you know, once and for all. And these delegates recognized that. And so they said, you know, rather than saying a specific time that this has to be done, we're going to use the phrase time um, you know, from time to time, that is the, the phrase that they use. So it gives the discretion to Congress that they might do it when it makes sense, when they can get a full accounting of what is going on and uh, make that available. And then of course, one of the, the delegates from Virginia, George Mason, um, the way he put it when he was in the Virginia ratifying convention after the constitutional convention, he said, quote, the reasons urged in favor of this ambiguous expression, meaning time from time to time, was that there might be some matters which might require secrecy in matters relative to the military operations and foreign negotiations. So this was another reason uh, that came up during the Constitutional Convention is a reason not to, to say everything has to be disclosed at a certain time. What if you're in the middle of or, or preparing and um, appropriating money for a military operation and then suddenly the uh, time comes when you're supposed to report that to the people? Well, that's an operational security matter. And so George Mason uh, relayed that to the Virginia Ratifying Convention as a reason, another reason why they decided to use the, the phrase from time to time. And, and that's what they ultimately agreed on. And then of course, our friend Martin Luther, again, in the Maryland House, he said, to put it very simply, quote, the people who give their money ought to know in what manner it is expended. I agree. Okay, so the last clause of Article 1, Section 9 says, quote, no title of nobility shall be granted by the United States and no person holding any office 
of profit or trust under them, meaning the United States, shall without the consent of Congress accept of any present emolument, office, or title of any kind, whether from any king, prince, or foreign state. Okay, so the intent of this is twofold. One is it's a, intended to avoid aristocracy, right? They, the framers and the founders had enough of that. That's what they were leaving in, in many cases <clears throat> to start their own lives without the, you know, the, the, no, the nobility and the aristocracy. You know, some, some of them brought it with them, right? Because they were from uh, maybe noble or aristocratic, aristocratic families. Um, but it says no title of nobility shall be granted by the United States. So we weren't going to have any of that here. And the second um, intent was to prevent corruption. You know, the second part of this, where it says no person um, essentially who's working for the government can accept, you know, any sort of thing, anything of value uh, or a title or an office from another uh, country, king or prince or foreign state. Um, and that's to prevent corruption, right? So we don't want our, the members of our government to go into foreign countries. I know this is going to be a shock uh, to many of you. Uh, based on current circumstances these days. But we didn't want one of our the employees of our government to go to a foreign country, be wined and dined and, you know, given gifts and, oh, you'll be the title, you'll be the supreme allied commander of, of all things in our country. Uh, you know, we love you. Uh, oh, by the way, we'd really like it if you can kind of maybe uh, give us some intel on what's going on in the United States, right? So this sort of corruption... Um, and treason, frankly, uh, we did not want to put up with. And so that's why the second part of this clause is put in there. With the exception, it says, without the consent of Congress. Now, just recently, meaning um, just prior to the Constitutional Convention, uh, some of you historians may remember that uh, Dr. Benjamin Franklin was actually an, um, an ambassador to France. Well, while he was in France, and this was in 1785, he received a gift from our allies, you know, King Louis XVI, which, you know, if it was refused, it may have affected our alliance with them at that time. Now, this was kind of as things were winding down in, in the war, but still, they were going to be an important ally for us to, to move forward um, with our new fledgling country. So uh, what was the gift, you might ask? Uh, so... The gift that he got was a, a gold snuff box encrusted with 408 diamonds and a miniature portrait of the king. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that might be uh, raise a few eyebrows uh, if it was questioned. But again, you know, if he had asked Congress, hey, should I accept this? They probably would have said yes. Right. Because it was so important at that time that we have an ally in Europe um, that we could trade with. So that's why they, uh, they included that phrase without the consent of Congress, because there may be certain exceptions that we, we may want to allow. Okay, so that actually covers the entirety of Article 1, Section 9. We've covered all uh, eight clauses. Um, and, you know, in the, in the past couple months, you know, we have learned that there are specific powers that we, the people, have authorized for Congress to have. But these last few episodes, last several weeks, we have learned that there are also some things that are prohibited to Congress. So let's quickly review what those prohibitions are. Uh, first, you know, while it's moot today, uh, Congress could not prevent those who migrated or were imported into America until 1808, uh, that, the compromise that they made. But during that time, they could tax them, right? 
Again, it's a moot today because the, the timeline is, has passed. Uh, they also said that the, the writ of habeas corpus, the privilege of habeas corpus, meaning, again, that means um, you must show the body. You know, you know, you have detained somebody, present him here, show us w when and why you detained him. That privilege, it cannot be suspended except in Congress in the case of rebellion or invasion. Right? So that's something else Congress cannot do um, except in those two limited circumstances. The third thing, no bill of attainer or ex post facto laws can be passed. Uh, again, as a quick review, a bill of attainer is um, you cannot specifically write a bill. Congress cannot write a bill saying specific people are guilty and decide their punishment uh, in the text of the law. That is a bill of attainer, meaning that those that pe person or people are attainted. And the second is the ex post facto laws. Congress cannot pass a law today making something that was done legally yesterday suddenly illegal and then prosecute for them. So you can't go in, in history and make something that was legal now illegal. Congress also uh, was not able to directly tax anybody unless in proportion to the census. Now we talked about this has been modified by the 16th amendment so that um, revenue may now be directly taxed without it being in proportion to the census. Uh, they also, Congress cannot tax any exports. Congress can't put their finger on the scales of commerce regulations that favor one or more states or even redirect shipping to specific ports where they're not bound in order to pay duties. They can't do that. Um, Congress cannot pull money out of the treasury uh, willy-nilly. It has to be appropriated by law. I mean, they have to write a bill and pass it through the normal process. And once they do that, Congress has to account for it from time to time. And finally, uh, no titles or emoluments, meaning anything of value, can be received by employees of the central government without the approval of Congress. So that covers the, the restrictions that are mentioned in Article 1, Section 9. Um, we have one more section in Article 1 to cover, so that's Section 10, and we will get into that next week. So if you would like to support us here at Patriot Coalition Live, please go to our website, patriotcoalitionlive.com slash support. Your support is a big help to us and we appreciate it very much. And if you're not already a regular subscriber, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast at places like iHeartRadio and Spotify and others. And thanks again, everyone. We will see you here next time.